Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I'm Jordy. And sitting down with us today are Kat. Hey, y'all. And Ash. Hey. Who are the two amazing hosts of the podcast show, Page Rage, where they dive into all of the issues that plague bibliophiles. These two ladies discuss everything from bad TV and movie adaptations to popular books that let us down. And yes, they also talk about the books that give us the Mormon fuzzies. Today, we will be discussing the book Hester by Lori Albanese, which was inspired by the classic tale of the Scarlet Letter. The novel Hester is of the literary fiction genre, and the story follows the life of a young seamstress, Isabel, who flees Scotland with her husband in the early 1800s. However, Isabel is unable to leave behind her family's generations of secrets, these secrets that pertain mostly to the women in the family and whether or not they were witches. Isabel and her husband Edward try to establish a new life for themselves in America, but they find that it is much harder to outrun their secrets and troubled past in this new world than they once believed. Isabel also meets a young Nathaniel Hawthorne, and their fates seem to be intricately woven together. Kat Ash, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank Thanks you so for, much having for having us. us. All right, so right off the bat, was this a rage or a rave for you? Oh, I love that you did that. I'm say it's a page okay for me. It wasn't exactly a rave. It definitely wasn't a rage. It was an okay book. What about yeah. you? I would say the same. It came somewhere in the middle for me, but... I'm always happy when the women who are in these sorts of historical books finally get a say in their own journey. So that in itself always makes me happy, but I like it better than The Scarlet Letter. So there's that. God. Yeah. Right before I started reading this one, I tried brushing up on The Scarlet Letter and I watched a couple of those like spark note videos. Mm -hmm. So in The Scarlet Letter, we have Hester Prynne, who's the main female lead in that. She is accused of being an adulteress and has to wear the scarlet letter A around everywhere. And in the novel Hester, we kind of get this inside look into the inspiration potentially of Nathaniel Hawthorne for writing the scarlet letter. And I thought that kind of premise of this story was very interesting. Oh, the premise was great. How she came from Scotland and came over on the boat and her husband, who was a drug addict and i mean the whole setup was great i did enjoy that as soon as we started discussing her grandmother or her great-grandmother whoever like i'm in <laughs> like i don't know what's happening here but this is already 20 times better than i was expecting i was very reluctant to read hester because i do not like the scarlet letter and so i was kind of dragging my feet and so when you invited us i was like okay fine i'll read it so i think my expectations were so low that I was like, oh, this is way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I had zero expectations. I just was like, oh, I hate a scarlet letter. Let's just see what mm -hmm. happens in this. <laughs> yeah. I had such high hopes. And while I was reading it, the writing was great. I enjoyed the story. But there started to be almost too many storylines happening. Like we had Isabel and her husband and the issues they had. And then we had Isabel's kind of generational past and accusation of the witches, which I love to read anything like that. But then we also had a lot going on in America. And then we had the story of Isabel and Nathaniel. And then there just 
felt like just more stories were added on. So there's a lot to follow. And so everything like at the surface level was good, but I felt like we couldn't really dive into anything too deep just because there was so much. I would agree with that. There was a lot the author was trying to accomplish with this. And I think she was just trying to open up the world of Isabel and quote unquote Hester and what this was like living in Salem at this time. I feel like when we read things like this, we don't always get to know about what people of color were doing in this time. They're always background characters, but they're not always integral to the story. We're not always seeing businesses run by like free men and women that are rolling into the story. So some of that was just really interesting to me to see a broader world at that time and to hear about women getting off the boat and their saris and they're trying to get inspiration. Like you don't think how international the world was at that point in time. So there were some things she did really well, but I do agree. There was a lot going on in this book. I have to say one of the things that actually really, really enjoyed about the book was every time she wrote about the sewing, and how she was crafting it and getting, like Ash said, the inspirations and how she was putting and using her synesthesia with everything. It was awesome. That was probably my favorite part of the book. And I thought it was interesting how she put in what was really going on with the slaves between the North and the South, how there were a lot of people in the North who were using it just to get money to throw them down to the South. You don't really hear a lot about that, but I found that very interesting to add that in. Yeah, I I loved that part too and how, like you said, she used the sewing and the embroidery and they would kind of write messages to each other. That was awesome, which leads me into talking about the synesthesia. I'm going to read the excerpt from the notes just to give you all what it is and why it's important to the story. So a person with synesthesia or joint perception often experiences multiple sensory responses when only one sense has been stimulated. And Hester, grapheme color synesthesia in which letters are associated with and chromesthesia is when sounds evoke experiences of color, shape, and texture. And so we kind of already talked about how this is tied into the story in Hester. How did you think of how this was brought about and reflected in the Scarlet Letter? I thought it was a really interesting and unique tie-in. I didn't even know this was a thing, but it sounds absolutely magical. So it's no surprise to me when she was listing out some of the people in her foreword who famously experienced this. It just makes sense that that would be where some of that creativity comes from. So I thought tying into where the Scarlet Letter came in, at least in Isabel's story, and what it actually meant to her, and then what it became in a Nathaniel Hawthorne story was just a really, really fun twist for me. Yeah, piggybacking over Ashley, I actually dated a guy who had synesthesia and I had no idea. And he was the one who introduced me to it and had me read this whole book on it. And he's a lot of famous people actually have it. And that's what makes them so great. But the tying in with the scarlet letter and even like how it's genetically hereditary passed down in my head, I was like, yeah, I can totally see how they would think that's like a witch thing back then because they had no explanation of anything. So when she said A is scarlet red b is blue c is yellow i good job good job hester (laughs) yeah i loved that and i thought it was so interesting and part of me is like i wish that i could like right change this way i think that would be so cool and definitely attributed to all of the creativity that isabel had especially when it came to her embroidery and the stitching and the scenes that she would do and whatnot, it really made me want to pick up like a thread and needle and try to do something. I also loved how it was tied to intention also when somebody spoke. And so it helped her differentiate 
who was telling a lie, who was telling the truth, where things were a little bit shady or they were hiding something. I don't know if I understood the ones that she couldn't get a read on, though. Did they give an explanation for why that was? Because there were like a couple characters who it was always flat. There was never any color. Some people actually can actually taste things when you talk, which is one of those synesthesias. They like get a taste. I think when there's completely flat, it means there's like no emotion behind when those people talk. An emotion registers a color. So if there's like no emotion or nothing there, that means they're not registering with that other person. That makes sense. I kind of interpret it in the book as she couldn't trust the person who was talking or there was something almost shady going on and nothing registered for that reason. Because you would almost think those were the ones who would be the brightest, like some bright, evil, angry color. <laughs> like, we don't trust anything that is coming out, you know? So that's why I was like, it's like the ones she needed to see it the most, she couldn't. Yeah. And Kat, you mentioned another aspect that I wanted to talk about. People back then really didn't know a lot about any conditions or disorders that people could have. And when they didn't know about something, they would just slap on labels like witch. And there was a quote from the book that says, they say witch, but what do they mean? Which is a reason to kill you, which might be someone to heal you, which can be the devil or which can be a woman so beautiful she makes you lose your sense. They've got so many ways of calling you a witch. They just change it to how it suits them. How did you guys think Isabel handled this type of accusation that seemed to run through her family for generations? I highlighted that passage too. I loved it. It's just like the word for anything we don't understand. And I think Isabel was coming to terms with that too, from finding out about her great-grandmother and what that meant, understanding what it meant in Scotland, understanding what her history meant in the new world in America. And it's funny when you see her embroidering and then she watching others react to it. She's like, am I a witch? Is there some sort of enchantment in this? And then you see her towards the end of it, really accepting it. She's like, so what if I am? Oh, well, it is what it is. I love it. I love me. And so I think we saw a nice character arc for her. Yeah, on that quote, I also highlighted this one. It's not that we are witches or fairies or that we deny God. It is that we are more beautiful and strong together than apart. And that's why they always push them to be separated. I thought that was really beautiful. I always actually found it more interesting how different cultures react to people who are witches, like Mediterranean, African, they kind of lean into it. Whereas Puritans and white people, they always are like, oh, something bad. I always found that interesting because like Ashley and I had talked about it before, like what if you could fix something? Like why wouldn't you want that? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think when she leaned into it and started sewing all the words into the gloves and the capes and the cape was beautiful. I would love to see that in real life with the beads and everything and the shrouds. I love how people were going in and asking her to make the shrouds. I think that was a small part of acceptance on that, and that helped build her back up for dealing with trash men all through her life. (laughs) And it was really a way, her embroidery was a way for her to kind of take control of her situation, her circumstances, and her life and kind of pave a way for her in this new world. Mm -hmm. And she really took a hold of that. What did you think of Isabel's relationship with Nathaniel Hawthorne? I hate him so much. Like, I knew I was going to hate him, like, going into this. Even Kat and I, we were wandering around Salem a couple months ago. They're telling stories about him. And I'm like, I don't like him. I don't care. <laughs> like, I never liked him. 
I don't like anybody who wrote something like the Scarlet Letter. So I was like, no, we all know this is not going to end well. Like, look at what he writes. He wants to be in his head. He is the hero of some gothic romance novel and he is going to be the tragic hero over in the corner he thought there was a date on this there was an expiration date and he could just casually pass her back to her husband and go on his merry sad little way i mean they had fuck boys back in the Mm -hmm. 16 you know 1700s as soon as the first turn i was like don't do a girl it never ends up well we here 300 years later still don't know any better I know it was kind of messed up. I knew what was going to happen going into it, but I'm like just hopeless when it comes to stuff. I'm like, maybe we'll get some sort of understanding as to why he did what he did. But it was even worse, you know, reading more about it. And I thought it was interesting because you see Isabel struggle throughout the book on identifying whether Nathaniel is a good man, a cruel man, or a weak man. And at the beginning of the book, he's almost portrayed as a rescuer or kind of potentially her savior. But then you see as time progresses, his true colors come out and you end up deciding for yourself which of the three he actually is. What did you think of her relationship with her husband? Oh, he oh sucked gosh. too. He yeah. was garbage too. Ugh. He was Listen, awful. And as soon what as a weak Captain, man. Yeah. yeah. As soon as Captain Darling gave her those silks, I was like, girl, jump ship. Stay with him. No more like, stay on the ship. Stay on the ship. Jump your husband. (laughs) Like, booty bump your husband right off that thing. Make him walk the plank. I don't know what y'all had back then, but stay with Captain Darling. He cares. He's out here being so sweet. I was team Darling from the second he picked up his little embroidery needle. I was here for this. So, yeah. yeah. I loved him from the start. But for some reason, I was thinking that Something bad was going to come out with him, too. Like, something kind of crazy with all of his sailing expeditions and whatnot. But you kind of see that he was the only good one, really, mm-hmm. of the men in this story. I really enjoyed seeing where it went. But I do have to say the ending of the story let me down a little bit. When his book came out and then his wife found out that she, I was like, ooh, that's messy. <laughs> I loved that part. Yeah, I was I like, I'm so glad she burned all his stuff. Burned all his stuff. I loved it. Yeah, I did like that. I was like, yeah, same girl. I thought it was a nice ending for her. For um, Isabel? Was, yes, for Isabel. It was all wrapped up into a, like a perfect little bow. I was like, okay. It wasn't as, I guess, dramatic as I thought it was going to be. I thought there was going to be more drama at the end. And it was just like, and we're done. I was like, Okay. I do like, though, that she went to Canada and she found her people. Like, the women there were definitely not what on whatever the women in Salem were on. Like, it was a whole different feeling. And she was able to finally find some of the friends and camaraderie that she was looking for. So that part of it I enjoyed. I did enjoy her daughter being like, I'm sorry. Why is this about me and you? Like, this is not, he's not even trying to hide this. What is going on, mother? So I did like that little moment. And obviously we had to skip through quite a bit to get to when she was an adult. So I liked it, but I do agree. It was very nicely and neatly tied up into a little bow. Yeah. After reading the last page, kind of like, this is it. Though I was expecting a little bit more when it came to the Nathaniel side of things. But I guess in keeping true with history as much as possible and the stories and whatnot, like it would end up happening that way. I just wish that some sort of revenge could have happened to him. 
And so I was let down a little bit by that, but I also acknowledge that it is what it is. Listen, my perfect ending, Mercy would have become mayor of the town. We would have hung Nathaniel Hawthorne (laughs) and Felicity. We would have just started hanging people left and right that were shitty. Just line them all up. Mercy would have been mayor of the town with her man. No, not even. Just take like Hawthorne (laughs) and everybody who had ancestors that burned the witches and throw them in the witch woods and just let them all do what they will and just see what happens. That would have been some vindication. But I am also surprised Nat never showed up in Canada, considering that's all he talked about was how much he loved to go to Canada, how he wanted to escape. Obviously, we know he did it, but we don't have track of like every minute of his life, right? That's true. I also feel like he wouldn't want to confront any part of his life in that respect. And it's just easier to stay away than have to deal with it, especially being so concerned about your reputation and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so two questions for you guys. One, would you recommend this book to anyone? And two, would you read another one of the author's books? I would read another one. I did enjoy the way she wrote it. I don't think this book was inherently bad. Like there are plenty of books we read and I'm just like, what is this dumpster fire that I just forced (laughs) myself through? So I don't think it was that bad. And I think if somebody is really passionate about that time period or looking for something in Salem or retelling of Scarlet Letter or something, I would recommend it. I'd probably let them know things might end a little too perfectly, but overall, I at least think the first half of the story was really, really interesting. I would read her again. Yes, I did like her writing a lot. What I recommend is, unless it was somebody who's a fan of the Scarlet Letter, no. You want to read the Scarlet Letter again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like remixed? It's like with caveats. Yeah. If they're looking for something niche and specific. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, here is your book. Did you like Scarlet or no? I never want to see that again. (laughs) Will it probably pop up on like a page rage Instagram post of like, here are some retellings that are Um, better than the originals? Yes. (laughs) But we'll give it to it with caveats. Yeah, I enjoyed this book, but I think it's recommended for a very specific audience who enjoys that. And my favorite's not literary fiction, but I think if that is your thing, this one is pretty good especially with all the different aspects aspects that were incorporated into the story. If you want a retelling of a character in literature who really needed a voice, I would recommend Good Wife of Bath. I absolutely loved that book. I will warn everybody, it is gigantic, but it is very, very good, and they did her justice. What's that one about? Um, So it goes back to... Chaucer. It's basically like a retelling of a very specific character about the Good Wife of Bath, and she was portrayed as a little bit of, I don't want to say a a tramp or a trollop, but a little bit of a tramp or a trollop. And she obviously had a lot of husbands, things like that. So this story, instead of just being a few words in some man's writing from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it actually gave her depth and it gave explanations to her story. And her and Chaucer were actually very close throughout their lives. So it was really interesting and it was really good. And it was Really interesting to watch a woman at that time navigate her way through society, pick herself up again after she has been just dropped to the very bottom, like literal rock bottom, and just figure out how she can also lift up women around her. It was just a really good book. And I was very surprised again, because I was like, I don't know that I care about this character, but sure, we'll give it a go. It was really good. Awesome. Well, thank you for the recommendation. All right, so last question I have for you both. As we're wrapping up the 2022 year, what was your biggest book rave of the year? 
rave or rage? You can give me both. I got my rage right out. Angelica Frankenstein's, I can't even remember the whole book's name. It was by Sally Thorne. It was terrible. And I DNF'd it about 40% through. I could not stand it. And I love anything monster related. Like I used to watch the old, old classic, like the first Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula, like Bill Lugosi, but I was, I was living that. My dad used to make us watch all those. And so anything with Frankenstein, I was like, sign me up. And then I was reading this. I was like, what is this nonsense that I am reading? And I will never read Sally Thorne again. Like that's how bad it was. After reading, because Sally Thorne wrote The Hating Game. Right? Yep. Yeah, I was kind of iffy after that one, but I did see the Frankenstein one that you're talking about on the shelves. Don't so do it. I'm glad you warned me before I committed to that. It could have been a good, no, it couldn't have been. The whole point of Frankenstein is we all know what it is, but her and her brother are going to make her her perfect man which I'm like, really? You're a rich, beautiful woman. You can't find one dude. You gotta be like put together your pe- whatever. And it was just the the certain anatomy parts she was pulling from people. That's what the book was about. That was the main character. Was that piece of anatomy? And I just couldn't. kind of given me the egg and yes with your brother. I don't know. That's a little little yeah. strange for me. Yeah. Yeah. What's your biggest rage, Ash? My biggest rage was actually one I did not finish. It was called My Killer Vacation by Tessa Bailey. And it was utter trash from like the first few chapters. I just refused to read it. I was like, this is the most inappropriate and ridiculous things. And listen, Kat and I will read some smut. We will read some spice. Like that is not a problem for us. But this was so just disrespectful. The way this man, this main, you know, heroic character, whatever that we're supposed to be into is talking about the actual main character, the woman. And I was just so disgusted by just what was going through his head and the way he was just, ugh, I just, I can't. I'm so disgusted. So not a fan. Didn't even make it all the way through. I will never. That was it for me. What about you? I honestly am trying to think of any of the bad books that I read this year. And I really can't think of any. This year I read The Love Hypothesis and I gave that one a low rating just because I also thought it was inappropriate, the relationship between the two characters and how they joked about Title IX and made jokes about sexual harassment and assault, and it felt tasteless to me. We talked about that last yeah. year. Yeah. So I would say that was my biggest rage. What about your raves, though? Raves for me, it's funny because we're actually still working through our like <laughs> our biggest, like our top five for the year. I feel like I keep moving my top five around. Some of the ones I really enjoyed, they didn't necessarily come out in 2022, but we came across them. So Final Revival of Opal and Neve just like blew my mind. I know Kat and I were just raving and raving. Uh, and Kat actually got me a signed copy for my birthday and the author wrote the most lovely note. And that that book just like changed my mind, like changed my whole world. And I don't know why it's not getting the hype that Daisy Jones is getting because it absolutely should. But I love that one. The other one was The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. It was another one that I was like, oh, this is going to be like a cute little reading. It was so cute, but it was so, so good and very well done. And if you just need a hug from a book, that is absolutely it. It just makes you so happy. So I loved it. That's awesome. So my raves, also Oakland and Eve, love that. I have plans for Ashley and I to start a production company and make that into a whole show because that's how much I was obsessed with it. 
Another really good one. I like Ash. I have like five that I keep going back and forth from was the All of Us Villains. And it was a, it's a duology. I love that whole concept. It was like Hunger Games meets dark meets magic. It was really great. And then my other one is Killers of a Certain Age. I love oh, so badass older women. So good. So love. good one. I love it. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. I don't know why I forgot about that one. I read it, like, I think last month. It's so good. So good. I would say, though, my biggest rave of the year. It didn't come out this year, but I read Take a Hint, Danny Brown. And it had all of the things that you could ever want in a romance book, in my opinion. And it was so good. Like, I laughed out loud. I fell in love. It was great. Did you read Chloe Brown? And oh, yeah, I read all of them. I read them all. Yeah, we love them. I think Danny's so my favorite. Danny's Ash. Yeah, it's sure. just me. <laughs> She's literally me. I'm the older sister. <laughs> but we all we both loved. It was Chloe, right? The the youngest yeah. one with the purple hair. We loved Chloe. Like it's hard right. to not fall in love with that book. So all three of them, though, I will. They'll just continue to be on the the rotation of rereads. Love them. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for being on today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. From Simon and Schuster, today we want to introduce you to a book that will have you laughing out loud and crying tears of joy. Sorry, Sorry, Sorry by Marjorie Ingall and Susan McCarthy is the ultimate guide to apologies. And let's be real, we could all use a little help in that department. Whether you're a serial apologizer or someone who struggles to say sorry, this book has something for everyone. But don't let the serious subject matter fool you. Sorry, Sorry, Sorry is bursting with wit and humor. You're going to love their deep introspection and laugh-out-loud humor about the art of apology. This book is a must-read for anyone looking to improve their relationships and communication skills. So pick up your copy of Sorry, Sorry, Sorry today and start your journey towards better relationships and communication. Trust us, you won't be sorry you did. See what we did there? Click the link in our show notes to order your copy. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, Red Woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh.